Our scripture reading this morning is going to be Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18, with a particular focus this morning on verse 18. If you are using the Pew Bibles, you will find these verses on page 1002. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. Let us give our careful attention to the reading of God's Word. For it was fitting that He for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham." Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That is the word of the Lord. Let us pray and ask for his blessing upon the reading of his word here this morning. Father God, as we come before you, thanking you for your gifts, we thank you in particular for the Word. We thank you, Father, that you have not left us to guess who you are, how you would have us to live, but Father, you have spoken even through your Son. And so we pray this morning that you would give us ears to hear his voice, and that you would give us eyes to see him in all his glory that we might know Him, and that we might be transformed into His likeness from one degree of glory to another. Father, this is what we ask for, and we pray for it boldly in His name, and for His name's sake. Amen. What temptation are you facing this morning? What sin seems desirable? What act of obedience seems to be just too costly? For me, one of my personal struggles, one of the the things that I have struggled with really all my life is putting the interests of others ahead of my own. It seems that I am particularly wired for Selfishness, and whether that's in regard to Sarah or to my kids or to, to you or to really anyone, I struggle to, to believe that it's really better to give than receive. I struggle to, to believe that I ought to give myself away in the service of others. I, I'm, I'm prone to believe that they really ought to serve me. I'm pretty sure it's better when I get my way. 
I'm pretty sure it's, it's better when others serve my interests. Because serving the interests of others is costly. Putting the interests of others ahead of your own means you might not get what you want. Sometimes you might not even get what you deserve. Serving entails some degree of suffering. And I don't like to suffer. And of course, it's not just serving. In this present evil age in which we live, this, this, this age between the ages, this age between Jesus coming and his return, where, where he will bring to completion the good work that he has begun, in this present age, all obedience entails some measure of suffering. There's a reason that Jesus said that following him would feel like dying. There's a reason that he said, if you would be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. If we would be his disciples, we must lose our lives. And it is at that point precisely that Satan attacks. He comes to us asking whether or not it's really worth it. He comes to us asking whether or not it wouldn't be better for us to, to go another route, to turn to the right or to turn to the left in order to avoid or to end the suffering of obedience. I suspect you've been there. I suspect you've, you've felt that temptation. You, you felt the pull to, to, to turn one way or the other to get out of the suffering that's brought about by walking the path that God has set before you. If you know that suffering, I want you this morning to see that Jesus is able to help us when we are tempted. It's, it's what the author says. He says that because he himself suffered when tempted, he is now able to help those who are being tempted. If you are being tempted this morning, and I know that you are, in some way, in, in, in to some degree, you are being tempted this morning to, to turn one way or the other outside of God's will, outside of what he has called us to do in order to avoid the suffering of obedience. But the author of Hebrews says, listen, if you're being tempted that way, know that he is able to help. He is able to help us when we are being tempted because he himself Suffered when tempted. But how does that work? Well, to understand exactly what the author is getting at, we first, must first understand what he means when he says that Jesus suffered when tempted. What does it mean to say that, that Jesus was tempted? I think we all know intuitively that, that Jesus' experience of temptation must have been at least somewhat different than our own, Right? We know that, that he wasn't tempted in exactly the same way. We're actually told this in, in James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, we are told that we are tempted <coughs> when our sinful desires lure and entice us. 
We have sinful desires. It's, it's part of the, the fall. It's part of the, uh, the, the effects of Adam's original sin that we have inherited a sinful nature, a sinful nature that does not love what it ought, a, a sinful nature that, that loves that which, which God calls evil, a sinful nature that delights in the darkness. And we sometimes find sin to be desirable even for its own sake. And so we are sometimes lured and, and enticed to, to sin simply for the pleasure of it. Jesus had no sinful desires. Jesus never found evil to be beautiful. He, he never set his heart upon it. And so Jesus was never lured and enticed by, by sinful desires. He wasn't tempted in exactly the same way that, that we are tempted in our sinful nature. But, make no mistake, Jesus was truly tempted. He never conceived of sin as good. However, the temptation to turn from his Father's will in order to end or avoid suffering was very real. As I said, in this present evil age, in this age that's marred by sin and under God's curse, Walking in God's will means suffering. You know this firsthand. Maybe even this week you, you heard about the scandals surrounding the, uh, the college entrance requirements, that, that some people had, had paid bribes in order to get their children into the colleges that they preferred. Rich parents paying to, to get their children into prestigious universities. Maybe you read that with just a, a degree of, yeah, we knew that was true. It seems to confirm what we, what we already know. Playing by the rules can be costly. Playing by the rules might mean that you don't get into the, the school of your choice because somebody with more money than you paid to buy the spot that you deserved. We know this. We experience it in, in every year of our life. We, we experience it sometimes in our marriages. As I said, loving your spouse well putting the interests of, of your wife or your husband before your own can sometimes mean that your own interests go unmet. Loving well sometimes means that you don't get what you want. Sometimes it means you don't even get what you deserve. It's not just in our marriages. It's, a, it's at work too. At work, if you refuse to go along with those who have power, when they are leading you down a, a way that is not honoring to God, it can leave you behind. It can even leave you outside looking in. And I'm sure that each of you could, could add myriads of examples to the list, some mild, some extreme. The unavoidable fact is that in this present age, obedience often means Suffering. And Jesus lived in this age. He faced this same reality. And so while he was never lured by sinful desire, he was tempted to end or avoid suffering by turning to the right or turning to the left out of the path that had been set before him by his heavenly Father. We see such temptations clearly in the, uh, the account of his testing in the wilderness. 
You remember the story. After his baptism, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. And there he is tempted by Satan after 40 days of fasting. Jesus faced three temptations in particular. Temptations related to his, his father's provision, his father's protection, and his father's plan. Each temptation affording him the opportunity to avoid suffering if he would simply deviate from his father's will. The first temptation had to do with, with Jesus' physical hunger after being in the wilderness for, for 40 days. After being in the wilderness fasting for 40 days, Jesus was understandably hungry. And Satan comes to him and, 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 wonder, and challenges him to wonder, how could your father leave you in such a desperate condition? If you are really the son of God, wouldn't he want you to take these stones and, and turn them into bread? Of course, there was nothing wrong with Jesus using his powers to, to, to feed. We see him do this twice later in his earthly ministry. But what was the temptation here? The temptation was to take his own life into his own hands, to assert his own will. The question being posed to Jesus is, would he trust his father? who had led him into the wilderness to provide him with what he needed to do his will, or would he take matters into his own hands and provide for himself? <clears throat> it's a temptation we all face. Obviously, we can't turn stones into bread, but, but we are all tempted to take our own provision into our own hands to, to, to secure our own good life by means that God forbids Sometimes we're tempted to lie, to, to, to twist or to shade the truth to our advantage. We're, we're tempted to, to cheat and to bypass the rules. We're tempted to, to steal and simply take that which is not ours. We're, we're tempted to hoard rather than to, to use generously that which has been entrusted to us. All to secure our own provision rather than entrusting ourselves to our Heavenly Father and trusting Him for our daily bread. That's the temptation that Jesus faced. Walking in the path that had been set before him for Jesus at that moment meant hunger, true hunger. And he was tempted to end that by going his own way, and by doing his own thing. The essence of the second temptation is a, is a little less clear. Sometimes I wonder why it would be a temptation at all. Satan takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and, and, and challenges him to throw himself down. Doesn't seem like much of a temptation. But what is Satan promising? Satan is promising that if you do this, the Father will save you. If you do this, the, the Father will send his, his angels to, to come and, and rescue you. So what's the temptation? The temptation has to do with the, the pain of his obscurity. If the first temptation had to do with him, him knowing in his own heart that he was the son, this has to do with other people knowing that he is the son. We're told in the scriptures that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. They, they despised him. They rejected him. They regarded him as, as nothing. It's the same sort of rejection that we see throughout the Psalms. David tells us that people would often taunt him saying, oh, if you're really the Lord's anointed... Let God save you. The clear implication is that those who surrounded David, 
did not believe that he was the Lord's anointed. They did not believe that he was beloved by the Father. And David was in anguish. Well, Satan is giving Jesus the opportunity to end the pain of his humiliating obscurity. He, he is giving Jesus the opportunity to show all these people who he really is. And again, it's a, it's a temptation that I think we all face. We all know the pain of being insignificant, the, all the pain of being thought inconsequential, of being thought of nobody, of being thought of no value. And so we want to assert ourselves. We want to make sure people know who we really are and what we've done and why we're important. Well, Jesus experienced that pain of being despised and, and he had the opportunity now to, to show people who he really was. Throw yourself in the temple. Your father will rescue you with a legion of angels. Then they'll know. The third temptation is more straightforward. Satan simply offers Jesus the kingdom without the cross. He offers him the opportunity to skip the suffering of death. If, all, if he will simply bow before him, all the kingdoms of the world will be his. In effect, Satan is, is saying, you don't have to follow your father's plan. You don't have to go to the cross to gain the kingdom. That which I stole, that which I claimed for myself, I will gladly give it back to you if you will simply bow before me. He was offering the kingdom without the cross. And again, it's a, it's a temptation that we know too well. The, the temptation to take now the, the good life as we define it. By devoting ourselves to some Lord other than the one true God. And so in each temptation, Jesus faced a choice. He faced a choice between obedience and suffering. He wasn't lured by evil desires as, as we are, but he faced a real temptation because for him in that moment, obedience, faithfulness to his Father, walking in the, in the way that had been set before him, in each instance, obedience meant suffering. And therefore he was tempted. Tempted to turn to the right or to the left that, that he might end the suffering. Or avoid it all together. He suffered when tempted. And the author of Hebrews is telling us that because he did, because he suffered when tempted, he is now able to help those who are being tempted. He's able to help us. That's, that's who he's talking about. Those who are being tempted are, are those who are being tempted to turn from God's will in order to avoid or to end suffering. Of course, that included the Hebrews to whom he is writing. We, we've, we've heard their story over the course of the past several weeks. Remember, they were facing persecution, a, a persecution that they could 
guess was going to get worse in the weeks and months and, and years to come. The author will tell us later in the letter that they had not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. But the clear implication is that that bloodshed is coming. They were facing real persecution. They were facing real suffering. They were being tempted to leave Jesus behind and to go back to their former Judaism because they believed that if they would return to the Mosaic law, then the angels through whom that law was given might again become their protection. They might be protected from this suffering. Those angels might do a better job of, of keeping them from persecution than Jesus seemed able to do. And so they were tempted. They were, they were tempted to, to leave the gospel which God had spoken through His Son and return to their former ways. But of course, it doesn't include only the Hebrews. As I've said already this morning, it includes all of us as well. We face this same temptation regularly. In fact, all men in all places at all times in this present evil age face the temptation to sin against God, to deviate from His will, to go their own way in order to avoid or to end suffering. And it's when we face that temptation that Jesus is able to help us. He's able to help us because he himself suffered under temptation. But, but what does that mean? How does Jesus' own suffering under temptation, how does his suffering when tempted, how does that help us when we are tempted? First, we must understand that because Jesus suffered, because he, he did not turn, he became the perfect Savior. He was perfected through suffering. We saw this earlier in, in verse 10. That, that the Father made the Son the perfect Savior through suffering. The fact that He was obedient even to the point of death on the cross means that He has defeated the one who had the power of death and has set us free from the fear of death. So that Paul could say, in Christ, death is now gain for the believer. In Christ, we have been justified by His blood. He is the propitiation. That's one of those big words that we don't really know what it means, but it's, it's simply a sacrifice that satisfies the holy wrath of God. Because God is a holy God. Because He is a good God. He cannot simply overlook our sin. He cannot simply turn a blind eye. Sin must be dealt with. But because He is a gracious God, He has taken the cup of His wrath, which would destroy us with eternal death, and He's instead given it to His Son to drink. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we who were sinful in ourselves might become the righteousness of God in Him. He rescued us from the curse of the law by coming under the curse Himself. But none of that happens if Jesus doesn't suffer under temptation. If he gives in, if he, if he turns to, to end the suffering, he is no longer our Savior. He can no longer deliver. Because he suffered when tempted, because he suffered even to the bitter end, even to the point of death on a cross, he can now save us to the uttermost. In him, there is now no condemnation for those who believe. 
So because he suffered when tempted, we can be delivered from the guilt of our sins. But there's more going on here than just that. That is gloriously true. and We should, we should cling to the reality that, that Jesus did not give in, that he persevered to the end, and therefore he is able to save completely. But Jesus' salvation is not simply from the guilt of our sins. He did not simply come to, to deal with our guilt. He came to deal with sin itself. And so Jesus, because he suffered to the end, is not only able to deliver us from the guilt of our sins, but he is now able to sustain us in righteousness when we are tempted. He is now able to, to help us, to strengthen us, to keep us from, from giving in. Notice the present tense. He says he is able to help those who are being tempted as they are being tempted. He is able to help us in the midst of the temptation. Because he suffered when tempted, he is now able to sustain us through the trial. But how? How, how does Jesus' suffering strengthen us. He strengthens us by being for us an example of endurance. I know we're, we're hesitant to talk about Jesus as an example around here because we don't want to reduce Jesus just to an example. And that is so true. He is so much more. He, he is not just an example. He is a, a savior. But don't miss the fact that he is our example. Jesus shows us that suffering under temptation is not in vain. Think about it. When we suffer, it's helpful. It's helpful to know that others are suffering with us. It's helpful to know that we're not alone, that we're not the, the only one. There's, there's, there's comfort in having others miserable with us. But the comfort's somewhat limited. Yes, it's better than suffering alone, but it's still... Suffering Is it not infinitely better to know not only that someone is suffering with us, but that someone has suffered before us and has come through better for it? That someone has gone this way before and, and shown us that the, the darkness we now see is not the end of the road. It is good to know we are not alone, but it is better to know that someone has gone ahead of us, that someone has blazed the trail, that, that someone has shown the way through the suffering to something far better on the other side. And that is who Jesus is for us. Last week, Sarah and I took Abby to visit the King's College in New York. And we had a great time up there. I even enjoyed New York City, but I also enjoyed uh, the college. And one of the things that the college did for us is they, they put before us a panel of alumni to, to speak to the students and to their parents about their experience at the college. And across the board, each and every one of them said that it was hard to be a student at King's College in New York City. It's hard. It's hard. It's not only expensive, but there are other difficulties that, that come with it. But each and every one of them went on to say, but it is well worth it. What I got coming through the experience is, is worth more than the hardships. I would do it again. Because from this side of the suffering, I know it was not in vain. 
Well, in a sense, Jesus is our alumnus. He is the one saying, I've gone down this road. I have suffered these things. And I can tell you it is hard, but it is worth it. He says this by his example, for he is the one who suffered really endlessly, never giving in, suffering even to the point of death on the cross. And we're told that because he suffered to the bitter end, he was exalted, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. And because he was, we may now suffer our own temptation with gospel hope. Knowing that if we suffer as he suffered, if we walk the hard road of obedience that he walked before us, like him turning neither to the right or to the left, if we follow him, then we will likewise be crowned with glory and honor. We will suffer, but those sufferings will be momentary and slight compared to the eternal weight of glory that is being prepared for the children of God. And so again, let me ask you, what temptation are you facing this morning? What suffering would you like to end or avoid? Maybe I should use the plural. Maybe I should say temptations and, and sufferings because they're probably not singular. But what are they? Identify them in your mind. What, what is it that is tempting you to turn to the right or to the left? Well, with that temptation in mind, I want you to remember that if Jesus had succumbed to Satan's temptations, he would have ended his suffering in the moment but he would have lost the joy that had been set before him, the joy of bringing many sons to glory. And in the same way, giving in to your temptation can end your suffering in the moment. There is a fleeting pleasure to sin. But giving in cuts you off from that inexpressible joy that the Father has stored up for his children. And therefore, we must not give in. Because Jesus did not, there's hope for us when we do. Because Jesus did not, we may be forgiven. Because Jesus was, was perfect in his endurance, he is now a perfect Savior. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the life that you have been called to is not a life of simply sinning with impunity. It is a life of walking in the obedience that leads to joy. And for that, you must set your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. He is your pioneer. He is your champion. Satan offers you life without suffering, but it is a lie. The temporary relief that he gives compounds only in greater suffering, leading eventually to death. But Jesus, on the other hand, he calls us to suffer now. He calls us to take up our cross and follow him. But he promises that the one who loses his life for his sake will find it. The one who follows him through suffering will have eternal life. 
in the age to come. And because he has walked this road before us, we can take him at his word. And because we can take him at his word, because his promise is sure, that is why we call this even a call to suffer good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you not only for the life and death of Jesus which sets us free from the guilt of our sin, but also for his example which shows us that our suffering is not in vain. That if we will suffer with him, we will be crowned with him with glory and honor in the age to come. Father God, allow this gospel to put down deep roots in our heart. Allow it to bring forth fruit in our lives as we set our eyes upon Jesus and as we cling to him for our salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.